Hello and welcome to Unstress. My name is Dr. Ron Ehrlich. Now, before I start, I would like to uh, pay my respects to the traditional custodians of the land on which I am recording this podcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. Now, just recently, I was at the northern border of the Eora Nation, which is basically the Sydney Basin. The northern border is the Hawkesbury River, the western border is the Nepean River, and the southern border is the Georges River, and that is the Eora Nation, and I believe there are 25 or 27 tribes in the Eora Nation, of which the Gadigal people are one, and that is where I'm recording this podcast. I would like to pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Well, 2021, what a year. Now, one of the things that uh, I have uh, always prided myself on in uh, the year that we've just had is that we've always promoted the idea of improving immune function, defining and redefining what holistic actually means, the fact that we are all connected and we are all affected by everything that occurs in the world, um, that the environment is linked to our health, our health is linked to the environment, and uh, a holistic approach to health is not some new age philosophy. It just happens to be the way the body works and it happens to be the way the planet works. So that's been our focus. Um, and in terms of improving immune function, we've dealt with many issues uh, such as breathing and mental health and nutrition and environmental health and uh, a whole range of issues that we've dealt with. I, I mention this because having been in practice now, um, for 42 years, and I have been focused on a holistic approach to healthcare in general through that time. And many of you would know that specifically, my focus has been on oral health and broadly speaking on stress, uh, but on oral health. And I am actually a clinician still practicing, seeing my patients in Sydney, Australia, two days a week. And a very big part of my professional journey over the last, well, since I started studying a dentistry, which is now uh, 48 or so years ago, has been prevention. Preventive dentistry is something that dentistry can be very proud of, starting in the 1940s, championing the idea that sugar may cause tooth decay. Now, I've had the wonderful Sarah Wilson on as a guest this, this year, um, and uh, Sarah has written many wonderful books. She wrote, of course, I Quit Sugar, and I've often said Sarah's a patient of mine, but also uh, I've got to know her over the years. I love what she does. I love what she stands for. I love how she writes, and um, her I Quit Sugar did more in the six or eight years of its life than the dental profession did in 60 years, but that's not to say the dental profession wasn't championing prevention, as in the dietary aspect of prevention, as in keeping your mouth clean through good oral hygiene, and also the importance, stressing the importance of early treatment. Because if you have a small cavity, it's a very simple repair, and it's reasonably cost-effective. If you let that decay go through to the nerve in the tooth, you're into extractions, root canal treatments, crowns, implants, dentures, literally thousands of dollars worth of work and far more treatment than you would ever need. And the reason I mention that is because during this pandemic, sadly, unless you can tell me differently, we have heard practically, in fact, nothing about prevention or early treatment. In fact, 
Sadly, many people, practitioners who I know, that have championed those things have been brought before APRA, the regulatory body in Australia, and uh, have been seen to be undermining the story of vaccination, as though vaccination was a one solution. And I think the other thing that is interesting about this pandemic is that it gives us a snapshot as to how our healthcare system works. And when you're dealing with preventable chronic degenerative diseases, like cardiovascular disease, cancer, uh, autoimmune conditions, diabetes, these conditions have a long course. They go on over years, 5, 10, 20, 30, 50 years, a whole lifetime. And so it's easy to manage these things and call it a healthcare system. Uh, but when it becomes an acute problem like a pandemic, if it's managed in the same way with one medication for the one condition, then we start to see flaws in the system. And particularly when we're not talking to people about prevention and early treatment. Now, very early on in, in the pandemic, um, I shared with you some of the information from the orthomolecular news surface. Now, I would recommend that you visit that site because it has a wonderful um, resource dating back literally 20 or 30 years of terrific articles on orthomolecular, which is basically talking about the biochemistry of the body and what each cell in our body needs to function optimally and how the environment impacts on that optimal function and how we may take certain supplements to help support the environmental or nutritional assault we put on ourselves in our modern world. Now, I am being, I've been honoured to be on the editorial board amongst a group of 50 or plus incredibly well-qualified uh, medical and research practitioners. And I have to say I'm humbled to be in their company and I've all invited several of them on as guests in this last year to talk about immune function. People like Andrew Saul, Dr. Andrew Saul, the editor and founder of the Orthomolecular News Service, Dr. Richard Cheng, Dr. Thomas Levy, Professor Michael Gonzalves, Dr. Carolyn Dean, um, Professor Ian Brighthope. And the last episode of guest episode we did this year was, in fact, this Monday with Professor Ian Brighthope, who was the founder of the Australian Australasian College of Nutritional and Environmental Medicine and its founding president. And, um, and he is their ambassador, and Ian is an, a force in Australian healthcare. Um, he's on the board of the National Institute of Integrative Medicine. Um, so he, in that last episode, and I talked to him earlier in the year about medicinal cannabis uh, and its effects, but also in the last episode, we discussed immune function does it still matter? And of course, it's a silly question, but it's one that needs to be asked in our current pandemic because it's almost as though the only thing we have going for us is vaccinations. And look, I have had my double vaxxed with the AstraZeneca. I did that because this is part of a community. I am part of a community. Um, I, I have known so many people in hospitality, in education, in tourism, in um, entertainment, in small retail, either as a retail owner or as a shop, a shop assistant. I know so many people in those situations. Um, cleaners, waiters, uh, you know, these are all ordinary people that are trying to um, 
make a living. And the effect of, of this pandemic has been, well, huge. I mean, mental health is a huge and growing problem uh, at the best of times, but these last two years have not been the best of times. So for me, when the government said we needed a vaccination rate of 70% before things would return to normal, and I must say I've never had a flu vaccine, although I've had my hepatitis, I've had my, my uh, smallpox when my grandchildren were born, I was asked to have a whooping cough vaccine, no problem with that. All of these vaccines that I've had, have been the traditional vectors, the traditional protein or attenuated virus vectors, which have been around for 40 or 50 years, and they've been proven to be safe. And even though I knew the AstraZeneca, the Moderna, was an experimental uh, mRNA vaccine and the AstraZeneca an experimental DNA vaccine, um, I chose to have it knowing that I was entering a phase three clinical trial, and I hope you all know that too, knowing that the only reason I was having it was to reduce my own chance of hospitalisation, knowing that with those vaccines, I was still capable of contracting the virus and, and uh, transmitting the virus. In fact, arguably, as new variants came along that weren't a part of the vaccine that I had, arguably, I was more susceptible to uh, getting it and transmitting it. I knew all of those things, but I wanted to be a statistic. I wanted to be part of that statistic to get people back to work and back to normal. Well, as we are seeing now with the Omicron variant, as I see people are lined up around the street, uh, most of them, I would assume, are double vaxxed. They're wearing masks um, and they're getting PCR tests to show that they are negative so that they can attend their Christmas uh, celebrations, I can't help but be feeling a certain irony about the public health approach to this uh, pandemic. And I'm not saying vaccines aren't an important part of that, but what I am saying is that prevention and early treatment should be the foundation on which it is built. It's the foundation on which my dental practice has been built for 42 years. And if I said to my patients, forget about coming in for a clean, we're not going to bother taking x-rays until I can see the decay with my own two eyes, or until you present with pain or an abscess, I don't want to see you. Just eat good food and brush your teeth, that's it. Until then, good luck. I don't need to see you until you're either in pain or we can see the decay. If that was my approach in my dental practice, I would have probably been brought before APRA and deregistered. Quite rightfully, that would have been it. Sadly, the approach that we seem to be taking publicly as a public health, as a government, as state and federal public health departments, um, public health is all about vaccinations and um, and and I am um, not, um, not uh, that is why the focus for this podcast has been very much on a more holistic approach. This was the case before the pandemic. It will be the case after the pandemic, but it's never been more important than now. Which brings me to the year in review and what a year it has been. We started off after our summer series. Um, we started off, and, and by the way, the summer series, well, I'll tell you about the summer series coming up, but we started off focused on breath and intentional stress, and we talked to that legendary Bondi lifesaver, Dean Gladstone. I love Dean. I love what the Bondi rescue team does now in its 20th season, and Dean is just 
the loveliest guy. He's now a breath. He, he's involved with breath training, the Wim Hof method, and uh, building intentional stress to boost immune function. Then we talked to Natasha Moore and explored the pleasures of pessimism. What a wonderful idea in this current year. Before we refocused on airway and spoke to my mentor in um, in New York, uh, Dr. Howard Hinden, who is a dentist. He's, he's still practicing after 60 years. Uh, he is president of the American Academy of Physiological Medicine medical practitioners and dentistry, medical medicine and, pra and dental practice. And um, Howie, Howard Hinden was talking about airway um, and the importance of airway. And then we talked about heart rate variability and the wonderful Sharon Moore, a speech pathologist who's written a wonderful book called Sleep Wreck Kids. And following on that theme, we spoke to the wonderful pediatrician, Dr. Lila Mason. Uh, who's written a book, Children's Health A to Z, but Lila is an integrative, holistic pediatrician, and she's a wonderful um, holistic practitioner. Carmel Harrington, we got back onto the sleep topic and talked about SIDS and the triple risk of, of SIDS and understanding that. Um, then we, we focused on mental health and we discussed with Sarah Woodhouse, you're not broken and dealing with stress. And we followed on through the year with uh, Jacqueline Stone, who is a psychologist, talking also about stress and Patria King, who talked about how trauma uh, can be a gateway to some positive changes in your life. So mental health has been a, an issue for us. And during that time, we spoke to Martin Whiteley, Dr. Martin Whiteley, who wrote that tremendous book called Overprescribing Madness, which seems particularly relevant to our approach to this pandemic as though prescription medication is the only way forward. Um, Jacqueline Stone, we revisited breathing with uh, the, Rosalba Courtney. Rosalba Courtney has done a PhD in, on breath, and we called that episode Life is in the Breath. I then went on to speak to the author, James Nestor, who wrote a wonderful book, Breath, the New Science of a Lost Art. And again, one of my mentors, Roger Price on Breathing Well. And I've been talking about, I've been studying breath for about 15 or 20 years now, but I can't revisit it often enough. And I don't make any apology for talking about it again to you, because it's a timely reminder for you always to be focusing on it. It's something that's easy to listen to and get excited about for the few days after you listen to a podcast but to incorporate it in your early into your everyday life is really important. So I see our health is like tapping a hoop along the street. If you stop tapping it, eventually that hoop stops rolling down the street and it falls down flat. And our health is a bit like that, reminding ourselves of the five pillars and the five stresses, which is essentially what this is all about. Chris Miliotis, Dr. Uh, environmentalist, uh, regenerative agriculture and bio, biodynamic um, uh, pioneer or, or, or uh, advocate. And we talked to him about diet for a cool planet in June and we revisited him more recently. Um, then we spoke to several people from the Orthomolecular News Service, Andrew Saul, I mentioned Dr. Richard Cheng, uh, Thomas Levy talking about hydrogen peroxide as a way, as a, being put it, 
hydrogen peroxide diluted into a nebulizer and wearing it as a face mask and doing it for a few minutes several times a day, particularly if you have tested positive to COVID, a very effective way of um, killing the virus. Um, and we've talked through the Orthomolecular News Service also with Carolyn Dean about magnesium, critically important, with Professor Ian Brighthope about vitamin D, zinc, vitamin C, magnesium, quercetin. These are all wonderful things. And we're going to demonstrate, and I haven't mentioned it, but I should, and that is the use of the neti pot. And I would encourage you to look at this on YouTube. I'm going to be doing a demonstration of this in the new year. It's something that I've used for years, ever since I had a septoplasty, you know, straightening my septum in my nose 15 or 20 years ago. Um, and I was told to use a neti pot. And it seemed like such a good idea. That is a little pot with a, a, a spout that you put into one nostril and you keep your mouth open a little bit. It's warm salt water, like a, a half a level teaspoon of salt, Himalayan rock salt into warm water, pass it through one nostril, allow it to come out the other nostril, put it uh, in the other nostril, allow it to come out the other nostril, have a little bit left in there and gargle out with it. And in the last two years, I have added diluted betadine to it, about 10 mils of betadine in there. And, um, and so that is a very powerful antiviral mechanism. So the combination of the, 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 the um, episodes we've done with those people and the combination uh, of using hydrogen peroxide and the neti pot with warm salt water and uh, a diluted iodine is a really powerful preventive procedure. And then talking about early treatment, we've touched on the use of ivermectin and uh, hydroxychloroquine. Um, you know, I, I recently posted a podcast that I would highly recommend to you. It's episode 1747 of Joe Rogan, where he talks to Dr. Peter McCulloch. And uh, Peter McCulloch is a world expert on COVID. His background is cardiology and nephrology, the study of the heart and the kidney, um, particularly relevant when myocarditis is a, is a, a side effect of um, the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines for young men in particular, but uh, uh, he's also a researcher and an academic and the editor of several highly regarded journals. Now, Peter McCulloch has published 650 articles in the medical literature. 51 of those are on COVID, and uh, he has appeared before the American Congress in 2020 um, and again in 2021. Now, when someone has that kind of credentials, um, I think they're worth listening to, and I posted that I thought it was the most important podcast you will ever listen to and one of the most informative, and I still believe that. And I wanted to share that with... Uh, a person who is very senior in public health in Australia. Um, you will have seen him on the uh, podcast. You will have seen him in the press. And I shared that with him. Uh, but unfortunately, he wasn't all that impressed with Peter uh, McCulloch's credentials um, and dismissed him as being a little bit egocentric, not an infectious diseases uh, expert, and therefore not really uh, worth listening to. And I must say, I was a little bit disappointed by that response. 
because if that is, and that's coming from really, and I kid you not, one of the highest levels of healthcare in Australia, um, one of the most highly respected healthcare practitioners in public health in Australia, and that was the level of response to somebody who has published 650 articles, 51 of them on COVID, appeared twice before Congress. The first time he estimated that if prevention and early treatment had been undertaken, 50% of the deaths in America, now we're up to around 800,000 plus deaths, 50% of those could have been avoided. He made that estimation in 2020. When he reappeared before Congress in 2021, his estimation had risen to 85%. So that's quite a sobering um, statistic from someone who has written 51 articles on COVID and is clearly an expert on it and has no ties to the pharmaceutical industry, has a lot of knowledge of the pharmaceutical products that are available, makes the point that when we come to early treatment, um, one medication is simply not enough. So ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine have been around for 40 or 50 years. Um, they have been proven to be safe and accessible and cheap and effective for other anti for other viral infections, but they have been pilloried by um, the press in this time. When we're talking about early treatment, um, we're not talking about one medication. Uh, ivermectin may be a great product, but it needs to be used with zinc. It needs to be used with azithromycin or doxycycline. It needs to be used with vitamin D, vitamin C, quercetin, which promotes zinc being uptaken by by the cells, which zinc has a very uh, deleterious effect on viruses. And, and so this is why these combination of products, it's never one drug. And when we look at the way chronic disease is managed, it's always looking at one drug. You're depressed, you get an antidepressant. You're inflamed, you get an anti-inflammatory. You're anxious, you'll get an anti-anxiety tablet. You're having trouble sleeping, etc., etc. You have a pandemic, you get a vaccine. You have an early, you have a, a, a diagnosis, ivermectin is the medication. No, no, that's not the way it works. It's a combination of things and it always is. So, um, and the thing that disturbs me is that while drugs like ivermectin have been described in newspapers that I have previously had um, a great deal of respect for, The Guardian, for example, um, d d dismissed ivermectin as horse dewormer espoused by social media and right influencers and right-wing nutters. Now, when I heard that, I was kind of taken aback because I used to think and I used to subscribe to The Guardian and I'll sh share with you the episode, the um, article that came out just before Christmas that actually caused me to cancel my subscription to The Guardian. I'll share it with you in a moment. But ivermectin was described as a horse dewormer and all the newspapers picked up on that. And I could not work out why newspapers are just not being critical of anything, just pursuing the same narrative. And uh, then an article came out in um, in one of the newspapers, in one of the independent journals, making the point that uh, actually the Gates Foundation had donated, this is public, had donated $350 million 
to various news organisations, including CNN, including the BBC, including The Atlantic, again, in a magazine that I used to have a great deal of respect for, including $12 million to The Guardian. And, um, and then it started to all make sense because The Guardian's description of the horse dewormer ignored the fact that ivermectin actually won a Nobel Prize for Medicine in 2015 for its effect on humans. It has been given as an antiparasitic and an antiviral to 4 billion people globally since it was first discovered in about the 1970s. And I think there have been a total of four or 5,000 adverse reactions in those 40 or 50 years and no deaths. So here we have a cheap, effective, accessible um, medication that has the potential to, in combination with other medications and supplements, uh, turn an early diagnosis of COVID into a non-event, certainly avoiding hospitalizations and uh, death. And yet the media have dismissed it as horse dewormer and um, and uh, right-wing nutters and social media influencers. That disturbs me. I mean, I have written a book called The Life Less Stressed, and I very often uh, also um, reflect on why public health messages are so confusing and contradictory. I deal with it in my last episode a few weeks ago called Trust the Science, Can We? Um, but uh, And I've always thought that uh, it's the chemical, food and pharmaceutical industry's influence on all levels of government and health bodies, professional and academic journals, right into the doctor's surgery and well-meaning practitioners. And I believe this, the vast majority of people are well-meaning, um, are just too busy to explore this. this is, that influence is a story that is very easy to miss, but once you become aware of it, very difficult to ignore. So there are people who are perhaps their motives are commercial, and I do believe commercial interests are, are, are trumping um, public health issues here, and politics and power and patents are trumping public health. I do believe, sadly, that's happening, but I believe the vast majority of people that are working tirelessly in all levels are, are really not aware of this influence. And I would add to that influence media. And that is why we have such a concerted uh, approach and why social media, and I said this when I wrote my book, I thought that the internet was a way of democratizing information and making information available to all. But when I see YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Google fact-checking and shutting down any mention of prevention and early treatment as being anti-vax, right-wing nutters, social media influencers, I'm concerned by that because public health should be the number one priority, which I'm sure many people would say it is. But unfortunately, the influence on, on industry is a story that is very easy to miss, but once you become aware of it, difficult to ignore. And let me just share with you the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, this was an article that appeared in The Guardian on the 24th of December. 
And this is how I view things. I read things holistically and I see how they interpret it. So why does this article get my shackles up? Here's the heading and tell me if you are concerned by this at all. Remembering that as far as I know, dogs are carnivores. Wellness for dogs, colon. Why your pet needs vaccines, but not reiki and raw meat. Some of what is on sale is total bunkum. Some is an easy way to spoil your pooch. And some is slightly more complicated. Um, but raw meat and reiki, no, which is a terrible thing to say for a carnivore, but there it is. According to The Guardian, raw meat is off the menu. For dogs, it's much more important to um, vaccinate your dogs. And I'm not sure they're talking about a COVID vaccine, although it wouldn't surprise me. Look, we had other great guests during uh, the year. Um, I mean, Belinda Fetke is an absolute legend. And when we talk about veganism and we talk about public health messages and we talk about the influence of industry, um, Belinda Fetke is somebody who has done a great deal of research. And that's it. Well, that was in July. And in July, I did a healthy bite. Uh, on that subject, why public health messages are so confusing. And I felt compelled to reissue the second episode we did with Dr. Gary Fetke, an orthopedic surgeon who, um, who, who uh, had the temerity to suggest that um, eating too much uh, carbohydrates and sugar would cause type 2 diabetes and then spent three years defending his good name to APRA, the regulatory body. He won in the end, but incredibly um, traumatic. Controlling insulin is the key. We then went on still talking about immune function. We talked to Dr. Leland, Leland Stillman about light therapy, circadian rhythms and, and, um, and uh, melatonin. The legendary, this holistic, integrative, integrative gastroenterologist. I didn't think that was possible, but Dr. Pran Yoganathan is an integrative gastroenterologist and Pran on the 2nd of August took us through on a fantastic voyage through the digestive tract. I asked him to take us on a journey from the moment food enters our mouth till it leaves our body. And we covered the whole digestive tract, but he stopped me and said, it starts even before we put food into our mouth through cooking and fermentation and how our food is grown. What an episode that was, what a guy he is. And then we explored a topic that I think is effect it is affecting us all, digital nutrition with the wonderful psychologist, Jocelyn Brewer, talking about digital nutritional technological addiction, which then took us on to um, another addiction with Paul Dillon, talking about the drugs and alcohol education, the war on drugs, and then talking to Nir Eyal about um, uh, being, um, being um, addicted to technology and how to tear ourselves away from it. Um, so do how to feel distracted and how, what to do about it. We then uh, talked to Professor Robert Boy about vaccinations. Uh, Robert actually said something that I think was incredibly important, and that is, now Robert's background is a paediatrician, and he also mentioned, and this is from the work, from the mouth of a paediatrician, that children are at incredibly low risk. I think uh, Robert pointed out to me that uh, the thing that makes us vulnerable are these, when viruses invade our body, they attach, they or the proteins attach onto receptors 
particularly in our pharynx and in our airways called ACE2, A-C-E-2 receptors. And that is what then triggers the cytokine storm and inflammation and the whole thing cascades from there. So ACE receptors are really important. And that's why doing um, uh, uh, NETI using hydrogen peroxide kills the viruses at that interface, right? But Robert pointed out to us that ACE2 receptors are practically non-existent in young children, and that's why they have they, they could get um, uh, COVID and they would not even be aware they had it. And I can tell you firsthand that my three grandchildren, um, six-year-old, a three-year-old, and at the time, a one-day-old, contracted COVID and they did not even know they had it. And my daughter, who gave birth as a COVID positive and her husband, also COVID positive, um, overcame the virus very quickly with just being on it. They were already because they'd gone through the pregnancy, the preparation for the pregnancy, trying to boost immune function, let alone living in a time of COVID. They were on all the vitamin supplements that I've mentioned. And when they contracted it, they took ivermectin along with their up, up their vitamin D, zinc and quercetin, and they had no reaction at all. Um, and my grandchildren didn't even know they, they had it really. Um, so Robert pointed out to me why that was, because children have no ACE2 receptors, which begs the issue of why we are rushing to include our children in a phase three clinical trial. And again, this is the media. Do, 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 reducing the discussion about childhood vaccinations to either your four, uh, your four vaccinations or you're an anti-vaxxer. That is just not the issue. My children, my grandchildren, my children and my grandchildren, as I said, including myself, have all had vaccinations, all had the 40 or 50-year-old technology of protein or attenuated virus vaccinations have no problem with that. But I am really concerned about my grandchildren being part of a phase three clinical trial. And again, people who are rushing to vaccinate their children want the very best for their children. The doctors advising those people want the very best. They are not, um, they are not <laughs> part of a conspiracy. I don't believe that. They are trusting the science. But my point is here throughout this whole podcast, in my book, in the last episode of Trust the Science is, can you trust the science? This is an industry that has been repeatedly found guilty of fraud and illegal marketing. And I think we should exercise caution from 2020 from the year 2000 to the year 2020, the pharmaceutical industry has been fined a total of $70 billion in fines. And to any other business in the world, that would shut them down or certainly shut them up. To the pharmaceutical industry, which in 2014 was worth $1 trillion. Now, I don't even know how many noughts. I think that is $1,000 billion, right? That was 2014. So I can only guess that it's got to be worth, I don't know, $1.2 trillion, $1.5 trillion, 
whatever, if let's say it's, let's keep it at $1 trillion because that's easy to do the calculation, and that's per year, you start to see that a $70 billion fines over a 20-year period, I can't even do the maths on that, but I'm guessing it's something like 0.001% of revenue. So it could be seen as an inconvenient marketing cost, which is fine for an industry. I mean, you know, industry that's built on managing chronic diseases that, by the way, are preventable, is, is obviously making a lot of money. But, I, but for us to trust the science, and we need to remember that the science in medicine is largely funded by the pharmaceutical industry. The science in this pandemic is definitely funded by the pharmaceutical industry. So I feel exercising some caution is worthwhile here, particularly when a professor of paediatrics tells me, Professor Robert Boy, tells me that children have very few ACE2 receptors and therefore are not susceptible to the infection, particularly when I know that just by getting the vaccine, it doesn't stop you getting the um, infection and it doesn't stop you transmitting the infection. So why on earth would I subject my child to an experimental mRNA vaccine where the company that is producing it has been given emergency use authority, which absolves them of all liability. Who should exercise caution? Well, clearly not the media, clearly not our public health authorities. So I think it behoves us to, as individuals, at least proceed cautiously. And that's certainly how I feel. So I digress for a moment, and there we were. We spoke on various issues there. Then I spoke to Professor Frederick Leroy, The Politics of Nutrition and the Great Reset. And one could argue we then went on in the same week. So on the 13th of September and a week later, spoke to another legend in my mind, Helena Norberg-Hodge, Globalization and Local Futures. Now, Helena has been working tirelessly for 40 years, and Professor Frederick Leroy is a great commentator and academic on this. His background is bioengineering sciences and applied biological sciences. So we spoke to both an, an academic and an advocate for, you know, the whole idea of globalization and the implications that has for all of us. And, and um, then we got back on to mental health. And uh, then we spoke to the wonderful Professor Julia Rucklidge talking about the better brain. Now, mental health is a huge and growing problem. We know that. And it's perhaps sobering to learn while we were talking about vaccinations for children to learn that the ABS, the Australian Bureau of Statistics, put out a um, recently a, um, a statistic saying what the greatest cause of death was for five to 16-year-olds, particularly relevant when they are being lined up for vaccinations. And uh, the greatest cause of death, according to the government's Australian Bureau of Statistics, was suicides. Now, we know mental health is a problem. We know social media is having a huge impact on that. We know that one of the greatest things about Homo sapiens as a species is our ability to come together, to collaborate, to communicate, 
to co-regulate, when we are feeling stressed, to give each other physical and emotional support. So for us to be isolated is a huge challenge to our mental health. And when we look at the number of children that have died in 2020 from COVID, I think the number would be close to zero. So the statistic is, uh, this is from the ABS, um, causes of death from COVID in 2020, zero. Children five to 17, 99 deaths in 2020. When they include 19 year olds, that number jumped to 200. So I think it's fair to say that uh, this is a problem when we look at it holistically. Now, not to mention the impact that lockdowns have had on people's livelihoods, businesses that are built up over a lifetime, their inability to be with loved ones during times of stress. So Julia Rucklich's uh, uh, episode, The Better Brain, really talked about good nutrition and its impact on mental health. And that is so important as we are all faced with some mental health challenges, um, <laughs> significant mental health challenges, trying to eat well, trying to be well nourished, trying to ensure that every cell in our body is working optimally, trying to sleep well. Okay, we get bad nights sleep, but play the long game. You know, yes, we all get a couple of nights sleep that aren't good, but eventually we get back on the back, on the on the on the wagon and we're back into the routine. And dovetailing with that, it seemed appropriate to talk to Dr. Martin Whiteley, who wrote a wonderful book called Overprescribing Madness. Now Martin was a high school teacher in WA who saw firsthand what um, uh, uh, diagnoses of attention deficit disorders were being done in his classroom and how children were being medicated. And he felt there was something inherently wrong with that. So he went into Parliament to um, do something about it. And he could see that that wasn't the best way of going. So he then went and did his PhD on ADHD and the prescription of medication for that, which led him to a whole story about prescription medication for mental health. So that was an incredibly confronting um, and, and disturbing story, but an important one. Uh, we've spoken to um, Matthew Defina, and, uh, you know, like as a man who has crawled into my cave mentally, emotionally through my life, I was very excited to learn that the man cave was actually populated by other men who I could and should talk to, and it was a safe place. And so that discussion during this very stressful time seemed very timely to talk to Matthew Defina about positive masculinity in the man cave. A wonderful conversation on the 25th of October with Professor Passy Salberg. Now, Finland is the best, has the best education system in the world. And, and in teachers, they trust, and they put a great deal of trust and autonomy in their teaching profession. And when Passy Salberg came to Australia three years ago, my wife is in education at the University of Technology in Sydney, so I knew he was coming. I was excited about it, and it took me a while to get him on, but that is an episode well worth listening to, and I followed that up with Let's Make This Century the Century of the Revered Teacher. They are so critically important. As I mentioned, Sarah Wilson, her wonderful book, This One Wild and Precious Life, Our Life, um, Make It the Habit of a Lifetime, 
uh, how you can improve your emotional intelligence. Yes, we talked about to Patria King how trauma can lead to positive change. And I truly believe this pandemic, as traumatic as it is, will eventually lead to positive change. Peter Bruckner, we spoke to him last year, but he has put together something, one of the most important comorbidities is diabetes. And he has launched a new initiative, which I would encourage you to go and log on to and, and become part of Defeat Diabetes. Um, my podcast, my company, the Holistic Health Institute, which I will tell you about in a moment, are very proud supporters of Defeat Diabetes. So we talked to him about that. Um, Sarah Myhill, my goodness, what a wonderful episode. That was why we get sick and how to stay well. Chris Miliotis make, made a, a return talking about make the problem the solution. And he talked about um, a whole range of things. We got a snapshot from the wonderful Gil McEwen into how uh, she she's very senior. Uh, she's been involved in the pharmaceutical and the vitamin industry. And I think they share many commonalities and many differences. Um, the, the pharmaceutical industry is a Goliath to the um, very tiny uh, Dave, David and Goliath. Yeah, David um, is the vitamin industry, just a tiny player there with a slingshot. Uh, you know, yeah, generating billions of dollars for sure, but not trillions of dollars. And then I did the episode, Trust the Science. Look, it's been an incredible year um, for all of us. It's been a challenging year. Taking control of your own health has literally never been more important. We are here to support you in that. The summer series coming up over January, we're going to take a break for a while. Um, and uh, the summer series is, is going to be just reinforcing some of the episodes that we did throughout the last 12 to 18 months that I thought were particularly relevant um, uh, to this time. I hope you have a really good break. I mentioned the Holistic Health Institute. It's the company that uh, has produced this podcast over the last three years, produced my first podcast, which I co-hosted with the wonderful Dr. Michelle Woolhouse called The Good Doctors. The Holistic Health Institute produced that. It was a company that was formed in 2011. I was the founder and I'm the CEO of the company. We received an Australian R&D grant to formulate a health assessment tool based on the five pillars of health, sleep, breathe, nourish, move and think. It then um, prompted me to write a book, A Life Less Stress, The Five Pillars of Health and Wellness, and then has been involved in um, producing podcasts and supporting organisations like Defeat Diabetes, The Mind uh, the Mind Foundation, the, um, the Australasian College of Nutritional and Environmental Medicine, independent news organisations like Michael West and John Menadou. Um, you, you know, uh, so I'm very proud of what the Holistic Health Institute stood for. And what we've been working on in the last 12 months is a wellness program uh, built on, on the five pillars, understanding stress, um, understanding the five stressors in life, emotional, environmental, postural, nutritional, and dental stress, understanding that identifying and minimizing any as many of those stressors as possible is the key to reducing the effect of stress on your life, while at the same time building resilience through focusing on the five pillars, sleep, breathe, nourish, move, and think, understanding that the whole balancing beam of life pivots on our genes 
and how our genes express themselves, the wonderful science of epigenetics. Our wellness program, Unstress, on, will be online, will be available. We are taking it to the world and we hopefully have received an Australian government export development grant to take this program to the English speaking world. We're taking it to the corporate world because it's a way of connecting with as many people and their families as possible. What I want to do is make a difference. I could put my feet up at this stage in my life, but hey, <clears throat> I'm not and I'm enjoying what I'm doing. I hope you're learning from it as well. Look, I've often said ignorance is a wonderful thing. I've been practicing it all my professional life, and by that I mean I, there's an awful lot I don't know. And when you don't know something, um, you, can, you can look at that and dismiss it as not worth knowing um, or being just rubbish, or you can go, wow, that's interesting. Maybe I'll explore that and see how that fits into my view of the world. Um, that is ignorance at work, and uh, as I said, I practice it often. It's one of the reasons I have a podcast and invite all those wonderful guests I've had who know so much more about various things than I do. I get to ask them questions, and I learn so much from them. I hope you do too. What concerns me is that when ignorance is combined with ego, with uh, arrogance, and with hubris, and when it informs public health policy... That worries me. That does worry me. And that's why Unstress and the Holistic Health Institute is here to try and engage with as many individuals who are looking to take control of their health as possible. Thank you for supporting us through this year. Thank you for listening. Please leave a review on the Unstress. We've had some great reviews. I, I shouldn't uh, be still asking for that. But do look out for our wellness program in the new year. Have a wonderful break. Have a wonderful rest. Be well. Until next year, this is Dr. Ron Ehrlich. Be well. This podcast provides general information and discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice or as a substitute for care by a qualified medical practitioner. If you or any other person has a medical concern, he or she should consult with an appropriately qualified medical practitioner. Guests who speak in this podcast express their own opinions, experiences and conclusions.